Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Karen Eman. Karen is a New York Times bestselling author, a Proverbs 31 ministry speaker, and a writer for Encouragement for Today, an online devotional that reaches over 4 million users daily. She has written 14 books and Bible studies, all of which we touch on a little bit today, mainly in the in the realm of how we can love others with our lives through our words and actions in every relationship. And so here is my conversation with Karen. Hello, Karen. Thank you so much for being my guest today on the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You have written 14 books, and this is so incredible to me. So, uh, I mean, it may be a given to even ask this question, but have you always loved reading and writing? Yes, I loved writing and English and all things creative in that way when I was younger and in school. And as far as um, not just writing, but kind of talking, if I could say that, you know, it's the thing (laughs) that, you know, because to me, books are just like talking on paper. But um, the thing that I got most um, commented on by my teachers and relatives when I was younger is, man, can that girl talk? And and uh, I think I talked a little too much in school. My my teachers used to tell my mom at conferences, but I've always loved to talk and I've always loved to talk on page and and write. And it was always a dream of mine to write a book someday. Although I used to think I was going to write fiction. I ended up with writing nonfiction. But yes, I've, I've always loved it ever since elementary school. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that because actually my daughter, she was telling me that she's always grouped with boys in her classes. And I said, like, she's the one girl in a group of five. Mm-hmm. And I said, why, honey? And she said, I think because I talk too much. So, <laughs> it's, <laughs> so there's hope for her that maybe the, the words of her mouth are going to um, be blessed as yours have. <laughs> and so I'm interested to hear when you first came to love the Lord and when he impressed on your heart to give your life uh, to ministry for him. Well, I was raised by a mom, a single mom who was a Christian. And so I always grew up knowing about Jesus, but for me, he really wasn't a part of my, my day-to-day life, and I really didn't have a relationship with him until I was 16 years old and in high school, and the house across the street was a church parsonage, and they had just gotten a new pastor, and he and his family moved in, and the pastor's wife took note of me as a lonely teenager. I was out in my front yard throwing a softball up by myself and catching it by myself. And she reached out to me, asked me to be a part of the church's softball team. And I said, yes. And then I started going to youth group and church and Sunday school. And it was through her that I discovered a God who could be the father to the fatherless. And I gave my life to the Lord that fall when I was 16 at a campground event with the youth group. And it was shortly after that, that I decided after watching her life, that I wanted a life of ministry because her, her life seemed to be very ordinary on one hand, and she was a stay at home mom with two kids. But on the other hand, there was this excitement about it because she loved people. And she really felt that our whole reason for being on earth was to have a relationship with God who offers us a place in heaven and to take as many people as we could with us by sharing the good news of the gospel. 
Mm-hmm. Are you still close to her? I just wondered. If I she am. Knows, she knows She's it. still my mentor. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. I love yeah. that. Well, so you have written a Bible study on the book of Philippians, and in it, you suggest that we discover contentment and joy in the midst of all of our worldly trials, disappointments, temptations, fractured friendships, and financial hardships by prioritizing what matters most, so which is Christ. So how have you been able to keep Christ your number one priority throughout your life? Well, I wouldn't say that I always do it perfectly, but I think as I've grown as a Christian and gotten older, I've just realized that everything else disappoints. Everything else that you make a priority and that you pin your hopes on and, and uh, tether your heart to, thinking it's going to settle your heart or bring you peace or bring you happiness, it always disappoints. It's a dead end. And really the only thing that lasts is our relationship with Christ and those relationships with others who become Christians and will be with us in heaven. And so I think when we can have a perspective that, yeah, this trial I'm going through or this bump in the road financially or whatever, it seems like it's just the end of the world. It's not. Christ and our relationship with him is the most important thing. And so rather than grousing about our situation, we need to ask ourselves, you know, how is God trying to make me more like Christ? How is he trying to, to grow me and smooth off my rough edges and realize that we need to have an internal perspective of what God's doing in our heart rather than always being disappointed about the circumstances that are happening in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Because they they will always be there for sure. Well, so because of the heart behind this podcast, I love the focus. Well, really, I told you before the interview, I said I could not choose one of your books. <laughs> so we're touching on quite a few of them. But specifically for this question is your book titled Listen, Love, Repeat, Other-Centered Living in a Self-Centered World. And in it, you say that we have forgotten the joy that comes from putting others first. So, Karen, how do you suggest that we shift from a self-obsessed perspective to more of a selfless perspective? We live in such a self-absorbed society. It's just gotten worse. I mean, I, I kind of feel like when I was younger, I knew that there were times that people were self-centered and, um, you know, kind of went through life thinking what's in it for me. But in our day and age, especially of social media, I mean, everything's about, you know, look at me, look at the picture I took of myself, the picture I took of what I'm eating, you know, me, 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 me. And I like to think of it as yearbook syndrome. You know, when you were in school and you got the yearbook, what's the first thing you did? You looked for yourself, <laughs> you know? Right. And yeah. that's what we do in life. The first thing we do is we look out for ourselves. Rather than discovering the joy that comes from putting others first and not always having to be the one that's, you know, thought about first and put on the throne, when we go through life setting ourselves up for failure really by thinking everything is going to go our way and be to our liking. It just, it's a, a big disappointment. But when we make our life more about who am I supposed to reach out to today? Who am I supposed to even just give a smile to or a kind word at the grocery store? Who can I be on the lookout for and bless today? It just really shifts our perspective and helps us to be less selfish. Well, you actually call this kind of living backwards living. So would you tell us more about what that entails? Yeah, just fighting against that culture again that says me first, me first. And thinking about how so many commands in scripture in the New Testament, especially, are backwards, you know, and so many 
um, declarations that Christ made. I mean, the last will be first and the first will be last. The greatest will be the least, you know, it's very backwards rather than always looking for the most popular, the most uh, well-known, the most respected in society or the one who's the most financially well off. We need to look for those that don't have it as easy and be on the lookout for them. And how can we, do something that will brighten their day. Well, you know, as you're talking, Jesus did that perfectly. I mean, he was mm-hmm. the ultimate example of living alert. So how do we follow his example to notice those who least expect to be seen? Well, it's really a concept that I learned from my mom. My mom is in uh, a very incredibly <laughs> unselfish person and she modeled for me this kind of living. I remember being in middle school once and being upset about something. I don't know what it was. I probably didn't get invited to a summer party or something. And I was all upset. And I remember sitting at the dining room table with her very vividly and her saying to me, you know, honey, whenever you think that life's not going your way and circumstances have got you down, you need to remember that there's always somebody out there who has it worse off than you. So here's what you do. You go find that person and you do something to make their day. And when you do, it's the craziest thing, but somehow it makes your day as well. Because you see what we do, Rachel, is we have our eyes on the wrong people. We're looking at the people that seem to have life better off than us, who's on social media, you know, seems like their house is nicer. It seems like their kids are winning more awards and are better behaved than ours. It seems like their husband is more romantic. We're coming apart at the seams because we're looking at all the people who seem to have life better than us instead of purposefully going and finding that person who certainly doesn't have life as good as we do and doing something that will lighten their load financially or just emotionally being on the lookout for that person and noticing that person who least expects to be seen. It's, it's just a huge shift. It really can help us to cultivate contentment. Well, you know, that segues perfectly into the next question, which is, would you share some practical ways that you found that we can reach out to the lonely, the marginalized, the outcast, and the odd duck, you call them? Well, you know, rather than um, giving any specific ways, the thing that I think those will come when you just do this, get to know them first. Mm, that yeah. That's... The, the, I think I see a lot of Christians that think, oh, I really would like to do something for, you know, those who are marginalized. I'd really like to reach out to somebody that, you know, is on the fringe or whatever. What can I do? What can I do? Well, the first thing you need to do is invite them into the cir- your circle of friends. Mm-hmm. And God will give you the ideas, but you, you won't be able to, to touch lives if you're not rubbing shoulders with those people. And so often we just exist in this Christian bubble. We run around with our little Christian umbrella and only have people under the umbrella that think and, and act and believe exactly as we do. And we're not rubbing shoulders with those who don't know the Lord, but you know, how are they ever going to come to know the Lord if they don't ever see a Christian living out their relationship with God? I mean, I think back to the woman I was mentioning before my mentor, Pat, you know, who reached out to me, I certainly was not the kind of kid that would be the exemplary youth group member, um, my behavior was not in line with the Bible, but she didn't care. She, she treated me like I was the guest speaker when I arrived at church and, and just threw her arms open and really let me into her life. I got to pull up a chair and watch 
firsthand, somebody walk out their relationship with God and it made me want to have one too. So I think that the first thing that we do is we reach out to those people who are lonely or marginalized and we invite them into our life, even if it's just sharing a meal or going out for coffee, getting to know them first is the biggest step and God will give you the ideas from there. Mm -hmm. So good. Don't they, as I was researching you, don't they also call you like mama Karen? Mm -hmm. Is that right? Because you invite so many people into your house and everybody just thinks she's my mom. Yeah. I think there's like, (laughs) besides my own four children, I think there are seven other people I know of who have me in their phone as mom. Uh, I love that. That's goals for me. I have two <laughs> kids and they're, they're um, eight and 10. So that, that I hope that I can have the same kind of relationships with intentional uh, intentionality as you have. Well, some of them have come too through my kids. You know, my, my kids are ones who reach out to those people that, that need another mama or that need a mama in the first place. And, you know, one of the kids that has me in his phone was um, a young man, an 18 year old young man who was soon to be homeless and my son knew him at school and said can he come live with us and I'm like no are you kidding me and my husband said no are you kidding us we don't know this kid and he said well can you just have him over for dinner once and you'll just fall in love with him and of course we had him over for dinner he ended up staying with us for six months and I'm in his phone as mama well you know what I love about your story though well all, all the things but the fact that you said your mom modeled that for you you now have modeled it for your children and now they are doing the same thing, you know? And mm-hmm. I think it just goes back to that multiplication. Mm-hmm. Um, ah, so beautiful. Well, so in order to do what you've just been talking about, in order for us to put this into action, you, you call us and you encourage us to listen for heart drops or hints from those in our lives who need encouragement. So what are these heart drops that you are referring to? Okay. See, this is something else my mom did that I didn't know what to call it until I had a small group leader once named Michael and he called them heart drops. And I thought that is so such a great title. That's exactly what they are. So a heart drop is when somebody says something without really saying it, you're just, you're hearing their heart. They give you a little peek into their heart, even though they might not outwardly be saying something, perhaps they are talking about the fact that next week their child has a medical appointment and they're a little bit, nervous about it you can sense from their voice or you know I remember one time my husband picked up on a heart drop for me we were a youth pastor and wife and we were talking at an event about slumber parties and one of the girls looked at me and said oh Miss Karen tell me what it was like you know when people had slumber parties way back in the late 1980s you know (laughs) like that was so long ago and I just simply said, oh, you know, I never had a slumber party because I lived with a single mom um, living on a budget so tight it squeaked and we just couldn't afford that kind of thing. Well, my husband kind of heard me say that. He was listening between the lines and he picked up on that heart drop. And a couple months later, it was my 30th birthday and he threw me a slumber party. <laughs> so a, a heart drop, it's just listening between the lines and it, and it doesn't always have to be something that's sad. It can just be a seemingly random piece of information, but God can use it in the future for you to, to reach out and bless someone. For example, I remember my friend, Tammy, uh, her, she has two children. Um, one of them, they're, they're twin boys. One of them has down syndrome. One of them does not. And the one that does not was about ready to go off to college. And I, knew that she was very sad about him moving far away. And so the day 
that uh, they dropped their son off. Well, they dropped him off the day before. And the next day was, was the first day of school in our district. And the school buses would be rolling by. And I knew she would be missing her son. So I showed up at her front door with two coffees from the coffee house and a box of tissues. And I said, you need a shoulder to cry on? And I handed her a coffee. And she said, well, oh, what'd you get me? A mocha? And I said, no, I got you a, and I rattled off her long high maintenance coffee order. And she said, <laughs> how did you know that? Well, it's because months earlier, I was with her in the coffee house and I heard her give her long uh, high maintenance coffee order. And I went and put it in my phone, just thinking, you know, someday I might want to surprise her with a coffee. So I'm going to be listening for what her favorite coffee is. Or um, another thing that I did once or I, I do often is whenever I go to a funeral, I always take home the bulletin and I look to see what would have been the, the deceased person's birthday. And mm. then I try to do something on that day for their loved ones left behind. My friend Debbie was extremely close to her father. He lived well into his 80s and they used to walk um, every year on his birthday. He walked two miles a day, I think, until the day he died. And she would walk with him every year on his birthday and she would take him a carrot cake. Well, I knew he died in the fall and I knew come April, he was going to, she was going to be sad on what would have been his birthday. So I showed up at her front door with my walking shoes on and a homemade carrot cake and said, want to go for a walk? And she just bawled. And she said, how did you know? And I said, because I wrote it down from the bulletin, you know? So um, heart drops can be something verbal that's uh, sadness that's going on or an area of concern in their life. Or it can be just a random piece of information. And, you know, for those times when you hear a heart drop that's connected with a date, like the example I gave of someone saying next Thursday their child was having medical tests, write that down in your calendar and so that you can remind yourself next Thursday to call them and see how they're doing. Mm. Oh, I love all those so much. How thoughtful you are. Um, oh, I love that. So what about the people that are hard to love yeah. because there are those people in our lives <laughs> mm -hmm. if we're all being honest so how do we how do we genuinely love them even when they're hard to love yeah I have a chapter in listen love repeat called how to squeeze a skunk and hug a porcupine you know <laughs> that, that's kind of what it is well you know I, it is hard it is hard I'm not going to say that I do it perfectly or that it's easy for me but I just always try to remind myself of how God loves me you know, and the fact that the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, he loved us even when we were still sinning and we, we still continue to sin, but yet he doesn't withdraw his love. He loves us despite our shortcomings and our faults and our flaws. And so I try to just ask the Lord, you know, give me your eyes. Cause right now all I see is this skunk and I don't want to squeeze the skunk and I don't want to hug the porcupine. Um, that's all I see is the bad, but help me to see through your eyes and to see the good. If we look hard enough, we can find good in anyone. And sometimes, you know, we don't know what's going on. I think of one particular person that's been in my life for decades now um, because of marrying into my husband's family. They are so difficult to love because they're so mean to me and mean to a lot of other people. But yet, as I've known this person and really tried to, to, sit down and talk to them and listen to them and, and be listening between the lines, I realized that they were very mistreated in their past. And so in some way, I think because they were mistreated by an in-law, they think that mistreating me as an in-law is like getting back at the person that mistreated them. It's a really strange thing. And I, I think of that phrase, it's 
been used a million times. It's not original to me, but that hurt people hurt people. And so I try to think this is a hurt person and it's not personal toward me. There's something else going on under the surface that really has nothing to do with me. My husband could have married anybody else and they probably would have been treated the same. So I've got to take myself out of the equation and look at them with the eyes of God and realize that they're hurt and that's why they're hurting others. So I go out of my way to do little things for this person. And over the years, our relationship has greatly improved to the point where I can honestly say that I love this person and I actually enjoy spending time with them now. And I could not always say that in the past. Mm. Well, you know, as you're talking to, I'm thinking I'm sort of stinky like a skunk and <laughs> like a porcupine <laughs> sometimes. So, we are yeah, all are. Okay. Yeah, we all yeah. are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, we did touch on this a, a little bit before, but what do you think happens as we scatter love? Well, it gets our eyes off of ourself. You know, when my mom gave me that little lecture about going and find someone, finding someone that has life worse off than you, I remember she said, get your eyes off yourself, honey. Get your eyes off yourself. That's the only way you're going to be happy is to get your eyes off yourself. And I think when we do, it just shifts our perspective. It helps our life to be more of an adventure of going through the day thinking, who can I scatter a little kindness um, toward and who can I love? And I really find that it's almost like a boomerang of blessing because it comes right back to you. I I can think of so many times where I reached out to somebody who was marginalized or lonely or down on their luck and um, thought, man, I'm doing them a favor (laughs) by by being nice because, you know, I don't always do it with the greatest of attitudes. But then later, it was like this boomerang of blessing came back. The, The young man I was talking about before who lived with us for six months When it was almost time for him to graduate high school, that's the reason we let him live there is he was almost through with high school as a senior year. And if he didn't find a place to live, he was going to have to go down south back to where um, he had just moved from to live with a relative that then decided they didn't want to keep him. And he would go back down south and he wouldn't graduate high school. So I said, "Okay, you know, you can stay here. And just before graduation, it was Mother's Day. And I'm telling you, it was the best Mother's Day I ever had. He didn't have much money we didn't have a a job. He would work for me a little bit. I'd pay him to do chores around the house, but um, he had gone to the dollar store and he bought a card and a candy bar, like a king size candy bar for me. And inside the card, he wrote, thank you for being the mother I always wanted, but never had. And I bawled, I bawled my head off. And I thought, what a blessing, you know, has come back (laughs) to me that, that this, guy thinks of me as the mom he never had and here I was just thinking like no we're not gonna let this kid live live with us our grocery bill will go up you know and I I didn't have the best of attitude but when you do you know I think of that that verse of laying down your life for others that greater love has no one than this that he lays down his life for his friends and I used to think that meant you know if you and I Rachel were walking down the street and a car started coming our way that I would push you out of the way and I'd lay down my life for you or, or, (laughs) or a soldier might lay down his life on the battlefield. But really I feel like it's just in those day to day daily things of laying down our life, putting someone else first and, you know, not holding our life with such tight fists that we don't allow other people into it, but we lay down our life. We welcome others in And it's like the boomerang of blessing comes back in the joy of knowing that you were trying to be Jesus in the flesh to someone else, you know, to give them just a little glimpse of Jesus in their life. 
Yeah. And it just reminds me, you're talking about the boomerang of it's more blessed to give mm-hmm. than to receive. Yeah. Totally true. Well, so this season, <laughs> I'm asking all of my guests who has loved them well. So Karen, who first comes to mind for you and how did they love you well? Well, besides my mom, who was just such a great example, and I've already mentioned her, um, I would say my mentor, Pat, um, not only because she looked beyond my behavior um, and welcomed me into her life and introduced me to Jesus, but she didn't only welcome me into her life, she entered my world. And I saw her do this over and over again. And it's a, a concept I've learned from her that I try to do with others. She was the master at getting to know someone by entering their world. And by that, I mean, I told you that she asked me to play on the church softball team. The woman was not an athlete. She could not play softball. She did not know what she was doing. And yet she decided, oh, I think if I join the softball team and ask that teenager across the street to join with me, maybe she'll start coming to church. So she went into the world of softball, which was very foreign to her. Another time, uh, another teenager started attending our church with her family who was deaf. Well, this, this woman, Pat, long before the internet, checked off to the library to check out a video and a book on American Sign Language so she could learn sign language and talk to that girl. And I thought, who does that? You know, I mean, I've got enough things to do without trying to learn another language, you know, but she was so good at entering the world of other people. And I feel like that just spoke volumes to me. I mean, what kind of love is that? Not to just say, hey, come on into my life. I'll let you at my house. I'll have you over for a meal or a cup of coffee or whatever, but to enter their world and get to know their interests and their hobbies. Even if it's nothing you have any desire to learn about, you don't love the activity, but you love the person. So you're willing to learn about the activity and do it with them. Yeah. And you said she had two children Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's a reminder because I think for me, I'm a young mom and it's like, well, I'm so busy with my family. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't have time to do anything for anybody else's family. Well, she, but the fact that, yeah, well, she just dragged the kids along. I mean, you know, the kids came to the softball games and, you know, if she were coming to one of my events at at my high school to, you know, watch me cheerlead or watch me be in a play or whatever, her kids came with her, you know, and they caught that vision of, Oh, this is what, what ministry looks like. You get involved in the lives of other people. Yeah. So you actually have um, also write, written about marriage and how to love in marriage. And it, it's your tagline, I guess, is stay crazy in love even when your love drives you crazy. Mm-hmm. And this is your book, Keep Showing Up. So how have you continued to keep showing up in your own marriage? And how would you suggest that we do the same? Well, I think we need to get rid of the notion that, you know, marriage is designed to make you all giddy and happy and meet your every need. You know, we so often go to our spouse for only what God can give us. You know, your, your husband is your husband. He's not your God. And when you start looking to him to meet all your needs and to know your every thought and to make you happy all the time, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. That's not what marriage was designed for at all. We need to keep in mind that God is God. We go to him for our joy and for our fulfillment and our contentment. And our spouse is a tool that God uses to make us more like Jesus. I mean, what Christian, if you ask them, do you want to be more like Jesus, you know, would say, no, I don't think so. Of course we want to be more like the Lord. But then (laughs) when our (laughs) 
when our spouse is plopped in front of us as a tool to help us to learn to be more patient and to be, you know, more, more filled with grace and to learn to forgive. I mean, this is a tool right in front of us that God is using to try to make us more like Jesus, you know, rather than push against it, we need to, to lean into it and say, okay, how is this little bump in the road in our marriage right now? trying to, you know, how is God using this to try to make me more like his son and to realize that, you know, the end goal of marriage is not happiness. The end goal of marriage is to give a picture to the watching world of a relationship, the relationship between God and us, you know, that, that God never leaves us. He keeps showing up. He keeps forgiving us over and over again. We can display the gospel to those who are watching because, you know, it's not just pastors who deliver a sermon. Your marriage is a message and people are watching you preach. Will they see the gospel? Wow. That's a challenge and a great perspective. I, yeah. I need a whole nother episode on just that, but we'll move on. <laughs> we are, um, another way that we can love well is with our words. And you were quoted to just say that words have consequences. Our daily words can impact our relationships for the better or for the worse. And so on this topic, you've written a book titled Keep It Shut to help us with this. And you break it down into what to say, how to say it, and when to say nothing at all. So I'm interested to hear that, like, since you've written and researched for this book, how you have seen the practice of these principles alleviate the heartache and regret in your own life. Yeah, God greatly convicted me. It's probably been 10 years ago now because the book just had its five-year anniversary. Um, and I was learning these lessons, you know, long before I wrote the book, but he just really pointed out to me when I looked at my relationships in my life that were damaged or strained or a little tense, um, I could tether every fractured friendship, every strained relationship, usually back to something I either said to the person or about the person. And I just didn't want to live that way anymore. I um, had a huge problem with gossiping. I just, I love to tell a good story, you know, and I would often say things that I would later regret. I remember uh, this one particular woman that I used to get my hair cut by. There were so many times that I got home and I had to call her back up and say, I'm so sorry for what I said about so-and-so. I don't know, you know, what I was thinking. I should have never said that. That wasn't right. Will you forgive me? And I thought, I, I don't like these feelings of later, you know, cause it's, it's, you know, in the Bible, kind of speaks to this it's like um they say juicy gossip you know it's like fun in the moment to be talking about it and then later you go oh why did I say that you know or if it's angry words with a family member you know it feels good in the heat of the moment to holler at your kids and then later you think oh look at their sweet little faces why did they do that (laughs) you know so Mm -hmm. I knew that the answers to all of life's questions were found in the bible so I just set out to really discover what the bible said about what we are to say, how we are to say it, when we're to keep our mouths shut. And I just started studying for myself and um, being hugely convicted as I was memorizing different chunks of scripture about this. And my behavior started to change. My husband noticed it. My kids noticed it. They're like, hey, you don't yell at dad so much anymore. (laughs) My friends noticed it. My friends were like, you know, I was the one that would, would, if a group of people were gossiping, would finally stand up and say, I don't think we should be talking about this. And they're like, well, I don't know. What is she? She should be the one that starts it, you know? And so people started to see my behavior change and it's only because of the Lord. Cause you know what? His 
word is true. And when we apply it, it works. It's so simple. (laughs) And I feel like our whole life is a journey of learning that lesson over and over again, that his word is true. And when we apply it, it works. And it certainly has worked for me in the the area of my tongue. I'm not going to say it's perfect, but I can only think of like one instance in the last two years where I had to call somebody back up and say, I shouldn't have been talking about that. And it used to be, you know, twice a week. (laughs) So um, I, I think when we apply God's word to our hearts and we really internalize it and want to walk in it, it can greatly change our behavior, especially when it comes to how we use our tongues, not just the words that we speak, but our digital tongues too. you know, what we're texting, what we're commenting on, on social media, because that's, that could be a whole nother show too. That's a, yeah. a whole yeah. nother issue. Yeah. Yeah. Our tongues can be life or death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great tips. Well, so one of my quotes, my favorite quotes from you says that we will speak what we have stored. So you said you were digging into God's word, but I guess, can you elaborate any more on that? Do you have yeah. Well, let me just give a specific example. So, you know, one of the things that I noticed right away that I was struggling with in my words was um, just snapping sometimes when my kids would ask me a question, even though it was just something stupid around, you know, around the house, they would just ask something, but I was, you know, in the heat of my day, I was homeschooling three kids and I was um, trying to start this writing career and my husband was working nights. So I was basically a single parent at night. And I just remember a lot of times snapping at the kids when they would ask me the simplest question. Well, I came across the verse in Proverbs 15, one, as I was researching our words, it says a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh or turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. And so I memorized that verse. And so rather than my default being to kind of, you know, be testy with my kids and raise my voice when I was, you know, answering their, the question they'd asked me seven times that day already, you know, I, I had a new default. I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. No, a soft or a gentle answer. Different versions say different things. A gentle answer turns away anger rather than, meeting them with anger. And then, you know, it escalates because then they get kind of mad and then you get mad. And now you're in this heated argument about something simple. I would think a gentle answer turns away anger. So I'm going to answer gently. I'm going to pause, pause before I pounce, you know, Uh, and I'm just going to answer them in a gentle manner. And it worked. It worked. Yeah. Well, you are also quoted to say that we shouldn't say something permanently painful just because we are temporarily ticked off. So when have you found it's better to just stay silent? You know, I think we all know in our hearts, you know, we can feel the Holy Spirit kind of tapping us on the heart saying, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. (laughs) But yeah, we want to say it because it feels good sometimes to say it. But I just think just, you know, every morning, just saying, Lord, help me to know what to say, how to say it. And when I just need to keep my mouth shut, just make it very clear to me. And he will, he will have the Holy Spirit tap you on the heart saying, don't say it. And when you hear it once, you don't have to sit there and ponder, you know, so he keeps saying, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Just the first time you feel like I, I shouldn't say this. It, it might feel good in the moment, but it might be something that's going to be permanently painful to this other person. And I lashed out at them just because I was temporarily ticked off. You know, if you wait and you calm down in a couple hours or a couple days, you would not say that thing and not say it in that manner so don't say it now yeah yeah does it build up or tear down mm-hmm. uh, so you are starting on this topic you're starting on february the 26th you're doing hashtag doing lent together 
And, you know, like for Lent, we typically think about like giving up sweets. Um, but you are suggesting that we give up our, using our words wrongly instead. Would you tell us more about this 40-day devotional titled Zip It? Yes, yes. So five years ago, I wrote Keep Showing Up, the book about using our words. And it did so well that my editors at my publisher said, would you write like a 40-day devotional on it, a 40-day challenge? And so I did. And it's called Zip It. And so it's arranged in eight different sections, five days per section. And it talks about things, you know, each section, um, we'll talk about a different aspect of our words, like one section might be on gossip, one might be on anger, one might be on um, when to remain silent. And so what I decided, since there were 40 entries, I thought, well, maybe I could do this during the 40 days of Lent. And rather than giving up chocolate, or, you know, um, a certain, you know, amount of television you watch. I mean, people give up all kinds of things. I thought rather than giving up something, let's take on something. <laughs> let's take on this challenge to use our words rightly. So we are not having this boatload of regret regret um, because we've said something that we shouldn't, you know? I think all of us have had times when our mouth has gotten us in a tangled up mess. And so having this community doing this devotional together and keeping each other accountable it's been great. This is the third year now that I'm doing it. We have over 10,000 people on both um, Facebook and then I'm also doing it on my Instagram account. So on Facebook, it's its own page. It's not just Karen Eman page. It's called Doing Lent Together. And then on Instagram, I'm just doing it on my own Karen Eman Instagram account. But we have a graphic each day that people can share to kind of decorate up their social media. And it really um, will drive home the point of whatever that that day's entry is whatever the scripture is or the, the little challenge, you know, it might be something as simple as today. Don't give your opinion unless you're asked. Now that mm. might sound simple, but it's so hard to do. Right. And so yeah. we will commiserate with each other and encourage each other. How's it going? Not giving your opinion today, you know, cause I, I'm an opinion slinger. I love to, you know, <laughs> if we're going to stop as a family on vacation. Oh yeah. I'm going to tell you where we're going to eat at the next exit. <laughs> but, but my kids laughed at me the first time I did this because we're pulling off and here's all these different restaurants and they're like, I want to eat here. I want to eat here. I want to eat here. Mom, where do you care? And I say, I have no opinion in the manner. Oh yes, I did. <laughs> but I wasn't going to voice it that day. So it's little challenges like that. And again, I said, there's some great graphics that go with it that people can use to uh, decorate up their social media and um, give up using our words wrongly for Lent instead of giving up chocolate. Mm, I love that challenge and I'm going to have to join as well. And then just for the listener's sake, I will include those links in the show notes. And I'm sort of giggling because on your website, it says that you're a gospel clinger and you just called yourself now an opinion slinger. <laughs> there you go. It's a whole poem. Uh, no, I love it. I love it. So you are also on the planning and teaching team of the Proverbs 31 She Speaks Conference and a teaching staff member of their writing trainer, writer's training site, Compel, which I've been to She Speaks two years in a row, and I'm also a Compel member. So, um, And then so you're also a devotional writer for Proverbs 31 Encouragement for Today, which I read every single morning, <laughs> as well as the first five apps. So all that to say, I um. I am getting the fruit of your labor. And so I want to just thank you personally for that. Um, But would you just share what, what do these ministries and the women that you lead with mean to you? You know, when I first was asked to come on the speaker team at Proverbs, I didn't want to, I thought it was like a speaker bureau, another thing to do. I was fine 
off on my own doing my little thing over here in Michigan. I had already written, I think, three or four books, and I was just speaking locally, and I was fine. I didn't need to do anything else. Um, I thought it was going to add more to my plate to do. But when I went to my first She Speaks conference and I got to experience firsthand the women at Proverbs, um, I'd only up until that point written a couple articles for the magazine that Proverbs used to have. But coming to that conference and seeing this, this band of women who come together to share the gospel, to share resources, to encourage each other. And I just saw not just a safety net for me, but also how when I went to an event and I did my message and then I left, I always kind of felt like, oh, you know, kind of leaving them in the lurch. I mean, they might have a great women's ministry. A lot of places did. But I always wished that, you know, I could keep connecting with them. And I, I just couldn't. I'm one person. I couldn't do that. But through the different things that we produce at Proverbs, our online devotions that, you know, go out to over 4 million people Monday through Friday. And then our first five app, we've had over... 2 million downloads for that. And this is an app that helps you to spend your first five minutes with God every day. So rather than, you know, when your alarm goes off in the morning, swiping it and heading to Facebook, instead it's, there's a feature to key it into your alarm. So when you swipe your alarm off, up pops your Bible reading for the day. So you can give that first five minutes to Bible study every morning, knowing that I have these resources and, and so much more at Proverbs to give to the women at the events I speak at or the people that follow me online to, to point them in that direction, to give them things that will help them to deepen their walk with the Lord and to grow in their relationship as a, a wife or a mom, if they are either of those things, we're not only for wives and moms, but there are resources for them as well. It's just, it's just so neat to see how my little piece over here that I'm doing, you know, fits into this puzzle of this bigger group that is really trying to help eradicate biblical poverty and help people to apply the Bible to their life in order to better their lives and to influence those around them with the gospel. Yeah. Well, I can personally say that it has bettered my life. So thank you for all you do um, with all of those ministries. Well, so I know that listeners will um, want to keep in contact with you. So would you tell us how they can do that? And then also maybe just mention if you've got any new projects or, well, of course we know the Lent's coming up, but anything else you'd want to tell us? Um, the best way to connect, everything's right on my website. So if they just go to my website, kierineman.com and Eman is spelled E-H-M-A-N, they can find all my social media accounts. Um, they can find out about booking me to come speak at their event, um, all of that good stuff. And I do actually have a new project coming out in the fall. I can't say a whole lot about it other than it's another 40 day challenge um, and it has to do with the topic of hospitality. Oh, Mama, Mama Karen. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Karen. Thank you so much for being my guest today and for encouraging all, us all to be gospel clingers and love others with our lives through our words and actions in every relationship. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode with Karen Eman. I hope that you were encouraged to scatter love wherever you are today. For show notes, you can go to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram or on Facebook, 
or you can have them sent directly to your inbox by going to rachelkadams.com and signing up to receive emails. Next week, my guest is Amy Seifert. She is the author of Grace Looks Amazing on You, 100 Days of Reflecting God's Love. She says that making the choice to accept God's limitless love no matter what and reflecting it back to the world around you is when His grace looks amazing on you. I can't wait for you to hear that conversation as well. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And until next week, always remember to lead with love.